Well, hello everyone. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, board-certified geriatrician and the founder of BetterHealthWhileAging.net, and also the author of the book, When Your Aging Parent Needs Help. In today's video, I am here with my dear colleague, Michelle Allen. She is a licensed clinical social worker and a certified geriatric care manager. And in this video, we are gonna talk about something that we find ourselves explaining over and over again in my online Helping Older Parents programs, and that is how to pay for elder care. Now, I have learned a fair bit about this over the years, but really, when it comes to this type of question, I always turn to somebody like Michelle because as a social worker who has developed particular expertise in um, working with older adults in her work as a professional geriatric care manager, they're also known as aging life care professionals, this means she has years of experience uh, in practical ways helping people figure out how to pay for elder care and so she knows way more about this topic than I do. So Michelle, thank you so much for being here today to help me make this video. Um, and as I said, we get this question all the time in uh, my online Helping Older Parents programs. These are online programs that I've been doing for people helping their aging parents since 2019. And Michelle has been an amazing resource to our participants since that time. So we wanted to make this video because we get this question so much and we thought that we wanted to be helpful not only to people in the programs but to um, lots of people because we know that there are many of you who end up wondering about this or struggling with this. So here's how Michelle and I are going to break it down today. Um, we are going to start off um, by first of all talking about um, what are the options for elder care. Yes, we're going to tell you how to pay for it and how much it generally costs, but when people uh, ask us how do I pay for it, we always start off with, well, We've got to start off by talking about what kind of help does this older person need, what are your options for providing that help, and then we can talk about how to pay for it, and you might choose options depending on your ability to pay. Isn't that right, Michelle? Absolutely. Absolutely. So many families get thrown into the middle of this and don't know what the options are, how much it costs, and how they're going to pay. Right. So hopefully this video will, if you're having this problem, help you know a couple next steps, or if you're just thinking about what if this comes up, you'll end up with some information. So uh, we'll talk about the options for elder care, how much it costs, um, how, uh, how we pay for it, um, how you might pay for it, how society pays for it, and also what to know about Medicare and Medicaid for elder care, because people often assume that Medicare is going to pay, as we're going to explain, they don't most of the time. Um, but we will uh, explain to you the basics so that you won't be caught by surprise if this comes up for you. And um, so before we get into the options, Michelle, if it's okay with you, maybe we can talk first a bit about what do we mean exactly when it comes to elder care, right? What are we talking about paying for? So in my mind, it's really, it's whatever help an older person needs from somebody else. Uh, to maintain their independence, quality of life, or well-being. And so it can mean a lot of different things depending on what's going on with the older person and you know what stage of life they're in, what's the stage of their health, and some other issues. So um, because Michelle and I both come from you know the kind of healthcare systems, we often think of this as um, what kind of help do they need with daily living tasks? And in our line of work, we call these ADLs and IADLs, activities of daily living and instrumental activities um, of daily living. Um, now, if you want to learn more about what those are, I have a video just about that. But really briefly, um, 
In my experience, uh, a lot of older adults initially need help with what's called the instrumental activities of daily living. These are kind of like the skills you learn as a teenager to live independently of your parent, things like transportation, driving around, finances, shopping, meal preparation, maybe managing medications, maintaining the home, using communication like you know your phone, your email, the mail. Um, and then some older adults may also need help with what we call activities of daily living. Uh, which are more foundational things like walking around, getting dressed, going to the bathroom, toileting, bathing, or transferring into a wheelchair. So that's often, you know, what I think, Michelle, you come in looking at, right, is like, which of these activities do they need help with? Right, right. Which of the non-medical sort of care is it that a person needs? Yeah, and often people need help with one of these because of an underlying medical problem, and that's the work of the doctors, the geriatricians like me, or the primary care doctors or specialists is to figure out why are they having the problem with that, but how are we going to help them with that is something that social workers and geriatric care managers and other specialists can really be expert in. And then um, we have also found uh, in our work over the years and through running our programs that um, there are a couple other forms of help that people are also often looking for. Um, it could mean supervision and safety monitoring. So this comes up especially if an older person has developed memory loss or maybe a condition such as Alzheimer's or another form of dementia. Um, it could mean some companionship. That's usually an add-on to helping them with something else, but that can be really important. Um, it could be some help managing their health conditions, so reminders to take medications or to do their physical therapy exercises or, you know, there can be other things that they need help with. Um, and then last but definitely not least, it's support and help so that the older person can still access their preferred activities. And Michelle, can you speak a little bit to what that might look like? Yeah, it's so important for older adults to stay connected to the activities that bring them joy and that that they are so used to being engaged with. So whether that's going to church, going to the library regularly, hanging out with their friends, traveling as much as they might be able to, it's really important they stay connected to those things. Yeah, because when we're providing elder care, we don't just want older adults to survive, we want them to thrive. Right. Uh, so sometimes, you know, if an older person can't by themselves be accessing those activities, then how can we help them with that? And that's something that we think about a lot in our work as well. So, um, Michelle, let me now turn it over to you and maybe you can talk about what are the options then for providing some version of that kind of help that we were just talking about. So the first option that most of us look at is family. So whether that's the family you're born into or your chosen family or the family that's adopted you, most of us first look to family to help provide this elder care. Um, another option is home care. Now, it's very important that we distinguish between home care and home health care. Home care um, is the term that we use when we're talking about hiring a private duty caregiver so maybe a certified nursing assistant or some other uh, professional caregiver that you pay to come into the home and help you with those activities of daily living or some of the IADLs that we talked about before. So paying somebody to help you out with that. This is very different than home health care, which is, uh, a, is a, actually a medical service that's provided. So home health care is when a skilled uh, service such as um, nursing or occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy comes into the home and provides you with help and support for a medical reason. 
Um, so usually uh, we're looking at private home care. Um, we also, a lot of families look at adult day as an option for, for this elder care. Adult day is a great option to get um, a few hours out of the home, somewhere where you can get some socialization, stimulation, usually some nutrition and some great programming. Um, yeah, and just to clarify, th those are like the day centers where older adults come for the day and spend time there. A lot of them are geared towards people who have memory loss um, or Alzheimer's, although it's not always the case. So it's a way to get them somewhere where there'll be a schedule, there'll be other older adults, there'll be people there trained to give them activities and support them for the day. Um, yeah, okay, keep going, Michelle, this is great. Some of the, op the other options that we start looking at are also residential options. So places where you can actually go to live that also provide you with some elder care services. Um, so we look at assisted living facilities or communities, boarding care homes or personal care homes. And I wanna talk a little bit about the difference between those. Um, each state has different levels of licensure and different ways of describing these residential options. But essentially, an assisted living care assisted living community is a, one of those larger, um, well-established uh, communities that looks like an institution, right? It looks like a big place that's um, taking care of a lot of older adults. Typically, they have anywhere from 40 to 100 residents living there in, the, in those assisted living communities. Um, and a lot of them these days are national chains. Right, and so they have- You've probably seen ads for them. <laughs> That's right, absolutely. Yeah, I see ads for them in the magazines. And the things that you won't see ads for though are the next option, which is the board and care homes or personal care homes. Uh, some states call them foster care homes or adult foster care homes. So each state has a different name for them, but those can actually be smaller homes that are found within residential communities that, that can take care of somewhere from three residents to nine residents. They may not even have a, an official business sign out in front of their home. It might just look like a traditional residential home, probably with a lot more cars parked in front of it because there's staff and there's family and there's a lot of other people coming in and out. Um, but these are also really great options to find elder care resources within a residential setting. Yeah, um, I mean, in a way, I sort of think of it as um, assisted living is like, it's like a school for preschool and boarding care is like, you know, going to someone's home who's running like a home care, That's you know, right. smaller thing. Um, so they kind of have that for older adults who need residential care too. You can have something bigger, more structured assisted living in like an apartment building or maybe a campus. Um, or there are boarding care homes, which are, you know, in um, some kind of larger house where there are some older residents and a team of people taking care of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then what are a few other options that people can look at for uh, elder care? So the other options um, are for a little bit more higher level of care. So we've got memory care units as well as nursing homes. Uh, memory care units are usually underneath the same licensure as assisted living facilities or other residential care. Um, but it's intended specifically for people who have some sort of cognitive impairment and they usually have different requirements for staffing and different requirements for training and typically provide a higher level of care and support than assisted living or boarding care homes. Um, they usually are locked facilities, right? So the doors, all the exits are secured so that we reduce any wonder risk from the residents. 
um, because of the population that they're taking care of. And then the last option that we have listed here is nursing homes, also sometimes called skilled nursing facilities. Um, I think they also go by a, a few other names. But essentially, this is you know a residential option that provides 24/7 access to skilled nurses. Um, typically, you know, most nursing homes don't have a private room, so you're looking at a semi-private or a shared room situation within a nursing home, and they have a lot more staff usually on hand in nursing homes. Yeah, and they can care for people who are either medically really complicated or very dependent, you know, right. basically, like people who need like help with all their personal care and, you know, maybe can't walk or have like pretty high levels of, you know, medical needs along with their, um, you know, their care needs. What's also sometimes called, we don't like this term, but, you know, it's sometimes called custodial care. So that's basically the deal in the United States, that care of the person to take care of their ADLs, IADLs, um, that's called custodial as opposed to medical care, which is, you know, care of their medical problems. Um, so when people ask us, how do I pay for elder care? It's partly like, well, what kind of care does your older loved one need? Right. Right. <clears throat> like, what do they need help with? And what does someone else need to do for them? And then, you know, where or how are the places where you could provide that care? So we see family members often stepping in to help with the IADLs, right? The, the transportation, mm -hmm. the shopping, you know, the meal preparation, the home maintenance, but it can be really hard for family members to have to be toileting right. a loved one, although some of them can and do do it, um, right? So, um, so if an older person needs that kind of help, what are your options and how much would it cost? And that's why we always wanna encourage people to understand the options and think of them as how they might match up with what their older loved one needs now or in the future, right? Because you might be thinking like, what should we expect down the line in six months or a few years, depending on what's going on with the health situation for your older loved one. That's right. All right, so given that, Michelle, uh, oh, we actually, yeah, we came up with uh, a few other less common options for elder care, but we wanted to acknowledge them as well. Um, so, uh, you know, one is technology. For some of these things, people are turning to technology, especially when it comes to um, safety monitoring, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There have been some experiments with technology for companionship and reminders for older adults, little robots or tablets, you know, um, that tell people or some people are using devices like Alexa or other reminded devices for that. Um, Another option, which I think is kind of cool, is the sort of idea of a community around the older person. So like villages, older adults can sign up to be part of villages where everybody's kind of checking in on each other or the younger village members are checking in on the older ones. Um, sometimes local nonprofits uh, might also be offering some kind of volunteer services to older adults in their community or sometimes churches are doing that. And then Michelle, can you also talk about the option of continuing care retirement communities? Right, so there are multiple, what we call CCRCs or community, I'm sorry, continuing care retirement communities all across the country. So your state probably has a variety of different CCRCs um, where on one campus, so on one plot of land, you've got all the options for an older adult, starting with um, independent living, which could be an apartment style living 
or could even be a townhome or a cottage or their own individual little home like within the community. Um, so, you know, you start with independent living and then you also have assisted living, um, memory care and nursing home care all within one campus or one community. Um, there's also usually a doctor that makes clinic visits on site as well as rehab services, restaurants and sometimes golf courses, you know, so they're kind of designed for an older adult to move in when they are still independent and then be able to stay there throughout the end of their lives. Right. So they can, so you don't have to move even if you develop needs for elder care, which honestly most people will because mm -hmm. the other, the only alternative to that is to die suddenly, which does happen to some people, <clears throat> but uh, not so much. So the idea is that, you know, you don't have to move in order to get higher levels of care. Um, now they also have like costs that are particular to them, which we won't get into in this video, although if people ask us to, we could maybe at some point do a video just about CCRCs, but that is another option that some older um, adults consider for their elder care needs. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so Michelle, how much does Kara cost? Maybe wow. you can take us through some ballpark figures. Yeah, so this is the part that usually shocks families, right? So when we start looking at how much elder care costs, you know, when we first look at family, I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that there's an opportunity cost. So if somebody is stepping away from either their own work or from their own um, family or from, you know, from all their own things in order to care for an aging relative, we do have an opportunity loss there and, and we could get into the statistics about what it's like to be a caregiver financially uh, for all that unpaid labor. Yeah, it's a known issue for women actually who are more likely to step back from their work to care for someone and end up losing a lot in lifetime earnings, um, in social security income and in retirement benefits. But yeah, so family is free as in you don't pay in the moment, but the people who are stepping up might be paying for it in a certain way long-term. That's right. Okay, how about some of the other costs? Michelle? And then when we look at actually, you know, paying for somebody to provide care and we look at that home care that we talked about and again, since this is not a medical care, this is not something that your health insurance is going to pay for. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little while. But home care, private duty home care is something that you've got to pay out of pocket. Um, and that is going to range anywhere from 30 to $50 an hour. I think in some areas and for some um, individuals, you can still find a caregiver who would work for $17 or $20 or $25 an hour. But typically these days, you're going to look for, um, when you go to look for home care, you're going to look at the cost being between $30 and $50 an hour. And so yeah. you start thinking that you're going to need eight hours, 12 hours, 24 hours a day worth of care, that adds up pretty fast. Yeah. And just to clarify, Michelle, I'm assuming that's kind of more of an agency rate. And we won't go into it now, but yes, you can sometimes pay a lower hourly rate if you hire someone on your own. However, you're supposed to be paying taxes That's right. um, in that case, you know, which will bump up, you know, the the price and then you have to, you know, be managing the person more. Mm -hmm. So uh, we actually have an article on better health while aging where Michelle explains a little bit the difference between those two routes, if that's something you want to learn more about. All right. Let's keep going, Michelle. When we look at adult day options, um, you can find some church-based adult day options that could start at $40 an hour. 
and then you can find some private agencies that go up to $90, sometimes over $100, I'm sorry, a Is day. that per hour? Per I'm day, sorry, right? A day. So actually, that's right. probably less expensive than hiring the private duty aid, mm -hmm. um, you know, for the day, right? That's right. That's right. So and you are getting an older person into some activities and socialization. So this is an option that we tend to like and encourage people to consider, right? Yes, absolutely. And yep. so often families are like, oh, there's no way my loved one would go to the adult day center. They would be just you know, humiliated to do that. Most participants absolutely love it. They love the, the friendship yeah. that they make, the food that they get to eat, the activities they get to engage in. It can take a little getting used to because it's new, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, we think it's a great option um, for people because also you're getting them out and socializing them instead of, even though lots of older people when they're unwell want to be home in the familiar place, that's not necessarily what ends up being the best for their physical and emotional health. So yeah, we like the adult day um, center option. And take us through the others, Michelle. So then we can start looking at assisted living communities. Um, and so when you look at assisted living, you could potentially find a community that's starting at $3,000 a month. Um, most are gonna be around five or $6,000, but the cost can go up in excess of $10,000 a month for assisted living care, depending on what level of care your loved one needs, and also depending on how nice the facility is and how expensive it is for them to operate wherever they are. Mm -hmm. Right. So being closer yeah. to a metro area where the expenses are higher, the cost is going to be higher than if you're out in a rural area for assisted mm -hmm. living. Yeah. And we have found, so first of all, assisted livings are regulated by each state differently. So different states will have different rules, whereas nursing homes are regulated by the federal government and so have more kind of standardization. But um, I would say, Michelle, and maybe you might agree that um, I have found that assisted living often does not provide as much assistance as families thought it would <laughs> when they first started considering this option. Because assisted living is like, you're in this little apartment, in the building, they serve meals, and they can deliver your meds. And if you need more assistance beyond that, you have to pay for extra services or possibly bring in your own um, private home aid, right, Michelle? That's a really good point. So even though this is the dollar amount that we're attaching to the rent that's usually associated at the assisted living, it's not uncommon for families to have to pay for more care to come in and to help supplement what the assisted living can do or for the family to have to step up and also provide a lot of oversight and support and care for their loved one. It, it's a real yeah. shock to families. Yeah, because in assisted living, the staff are not going to come in several times a day to check on the older person. So um, if you have, you know, an older person who's having some memory problems or who just needs more help getting out of bed, you know, assisted living rent by itself is not usually covering that. Right, Michelle? That's right. That's right. And mm -hmm. sometimes that's why we look at moving from assisted living into a memory care unit or even to a smaller personal care home. Um, mm -hmm. So what's interesting is that our, our board and care homes or personal care homes can also run between $3,000 to $10,000 a month, but the care that you're receiving there could look different depending on the home. And this is one thing that is really interesting is that you can never assume that all the personal care homes or all the board and care homes run the same way. Some tend to take care of a, a higher level um, of care need from their residents than others and can provide more more of that in-depth 
high intensity care than other personal care homes. And so you might find what your loved one needs by looking at one of these smaller homes. And then certainly if we start looking at a memory care unit, um, it does cost more. So instead of the lower end being close to 3000 usually um, a memory care unit is going to start at $6,000 a month and go up in excess of $10,000 a month. But like, like we talked about earlier, the staffing ratios are different. So usually there's more staff for the residents available. They're also geared towards checking on them more regularly, pulling them out of their room and getting them engaged and reminding them that it's mealtime, that it's time for activities, and really providing a higher level of support. So mm -hmm. it's interesting to me, usually families are so resistant to their loved one moving from assisted living to memory care. And sometimes it's because of money, right? Because they just don't know how they're going to pay for that in the long term. But sometimes it's about the stigma that's associated to those memory care units. And they think, oh, my loved, you know, my loved one's not bad enough to need a memory care unit. But sometimes when we look at how much more robust the care can be in a memory care unit, it just makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then really quickly, what do nursing homes cost these days? For yeah, residential we're looking care? at on the low end $7,000 and then going at, going up in excess of $10,000 a month mm -hmm. for that care. Yeah. yeah. And again, that's probably and, for a semi-private or a shared room um, with very little, you know, autonomy and control over the space that you have. Yeah. Uh, and then Michelle, um, how long might people need to keep paying for this? That's a really good question. Um, so I think that the average statistics right now are what, two and a half years that somebody's going to need long-term care? Yeah, probably. And uh, I think of people who live to be age 65, something like 70% of them need it, need it for at least some period of time with like okay. the average being kind of two, two and a half years. Mm -hmm. Some people will need it for way more. Some people just, um, just a couple months. Um, you know, and the people who are needing it just a couple of months are usually the ones who have a significant medical problem that is uh, ending their life. So, um, yeah, often people might be in for these kinds of expenses for at least a couple of years, right? At least a couple of years. And that's those are the national statistics on it. But I think you and I both can off the top of our head think of dozens of folks mm -hmm. who didn't have any major organ problems, but just were living with dementia. And we could look at yeah. 10, 12 years. Yeah, yeah. And then we have some people who need just like a little help for several years, right? right? You know, they just they just need a little help from family or somebody paid. Um, and with that, they can go on for years. So, you know, some people are paying for elder care for years, but it's actually not at this super high, uh, high level. And um, do we know who's going to need a very high level of care? Uh, well, we know people who definitely get diagnosed with dementia tend to end up needing a high level of care for at least a couple years and otherwise kind of depends on your health and some other circumstances. So, um, okay. So now that we know, uh, the options and what they generally cost, Michelle, what are people's options to pay for this? So there's essentially only four ways that we can pay for our, our elder care needs. The first way is to pay with our own funds. So you look at your income, your assets, the value of your house, the value of um, life insurance. I mean, you look at every single pot of money you might have and start pulling that together to pay for your your elder care needs. Um, looking at your own funds could be looking at, do you have any family who could chip in? 
this is getting increasingly difficult as the care is getting really expensive, right? So if you think about an adult child being able to help out their their aging parent at thousands of dollars every month, that can yeah. be very, very difficult. Um, and and we do find that people are sometimes shocked that they or their family have to pay because it turns out many people think that Medicare or that there's some kind of public program that steps in and starts to pay for elder care or provide elder care when older adults need it. And we wish that were true, but actually there really isn't. You know, Medicare doesn't pay for most forms of elder care. So unless you are lucky enough to have some other way to pay, there are like a few other options that Michelle's gonna talk about, people generally have to start paying out of pocket um, That's right. in some way. Medicare right. was designed to help us pay for our medical needs, right? And so far we have not defined any of this elder care or long-term care needs as being part of that medical care that, that Medicare is designed to help pay for. So at yeah. this point, and there has been a lot of advocacy around changing that, and we have made a yeah, little bit of effort. Yeah, because this drives geriatricians' bats, right? Yeah. And people like you too, because we know that actually you need to provide the other non-medical care to manage <laughs> the health problems, right? If somebody comes and helps an older person get food and with medication, they won't necessarily end up in the ER or hospital. So uh, we feel like they should be like this, and we work on them like this. That's why we like working together. But um, our system was not designed that way. <laughs> so, so until people advocate and change it, that is the deal we have. So uh, Michelle, another thing people often ask us about is, isn't there insurance that will pay for this? So can you talk a little bit about uh, when does insurance pay for elder care? Absolutely. So some, I would say what the national average is that 10% of the population has long-term care insurance. So long-term care insurance is a very specific type of insurance that you have to have decided to get into when you were insurable, right? So you have to have bought into long-term care insurance when you were in your 50s, 60s, maybe your 70s, and been dedicated and committed to paying for that premium year after year in case you ever need it in the future. Hold on, Michelle. Before you tell us more about it, I just know we have viewers who are in middle age who are like, I better get that now. So. Maybe we should share with people that, first of all, the premiums have been going up for some people over time. And second of all, this is an industry that is not in good shape. Uh, the insurance companies have found that it's very hard to be profitable with long-term care. And so even though your parents might have a long-term care policy that is going to be helpful to them, um, you are much less likely to find that kind of policy now. Isn't that right, Michelle? Absolutely. Absolutely. You've got to read those policies very, very carefully now because some of them that you you can't, that they are still selling, might not be providing anything that you'd want to ever have or might come with such a high premium that it doesn't make any sense. So we're, we're definitely yeah. in a really tough spot right now when it comes to new policies for long-term care insurance. And we have heard from some of our participants that they had a long-term care insurance policy and then the insurance company raised their premiums by a lot, by a right? Lot. That's right. Yeah. So, so, um, so for us, we're we're finding more that some of our participants, their older parents, might have a policy that's useful. But as an option for middle-aged people to sign up for now, you can definitely look. But um, I think even the federal government last year decided to stop offering long-term care insurance to federal employees because they were having trouble finding policies that they thought were viable and um, acceptable. Yeah. 
So, so when you're looking at, you know, paying for elder care right now, you know, one of the things you want to look at, is there a long-term care insurance policy somewhere out there that the person's been paying for? Um, mm-hmm. But once, once you need it, it's too late to go out and buy it. So it would have had to be something they put in place years ago, decades ago. Yeah. And before we go on to the other ways to pay, I'm also going to add that um, there have been some efforts to create publicly funded long-term care insurance, both at the federal level and at the state level. I think Washington State actually created something that people are going to start paying into soon, but it's been a tough sell. So even though lots of people end up needing elder care, so far it's been hard to get um, politicians and the public to agree on actual public programs. But, um, but you know, in other countries, some foreign countries, they, they have those. So that would be a policy option we could consider eventually in the United States, but it, uh, most states do not have it as of right now. All right, so what are some other options that you as a social worker look into to help people pay for care, Michelle? The, the other two options that we look at are VA benefits as well as Medicaid. So one thing that's really interesting is that it's, it's important for our folks over the age of 65 to find out if they were in the service and find out specifically if they were in the service during the same time that corresponds with a period of war. And I'm not talking about it was your loved one injured during wartime. I'm just talking about like, did your loved one serve in the service during active, you know, during an active war period? Um, because if they did, it is worthwhile to look into whether or not they could qualify for what the VA calls the aid and attendance benefit. And I could talk for a whole hour on this, on this just by itself, but I just want everybody to know that if your loved one is looking for needing to pay for in-home care, for assisted living, for personal care homes, for nursing home care, it is worth looking into whether or not they, they served and if they could be eligible. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the fourth option, um, which is Medicaid. So tell us a little bit about Medicaid and long-term care, Michelle. So Medicaid is our federally funded and state administered program that helps pay for uh, folks who have a, who meet certain financial requirements, right? So usually, typically, we think about Medicaid as being for, you know, the indigent. One thing that's interesting is that when we look at how expensive long-term care is, when we look at how expensive elder care is, a lot more people qualify for Medicaid than they ever would have thought, right? Because the gap between what a lot of people have and how much it costs to live in assisted living or to get a home care aid or to move into a nursing home is there's such a huge difference between what they have and what the costs are that Medicaid is actually usually an option for a lot of people to help fill in that gap. Yeah, um, or if you spend on elder care for a few years, you might end up qualifying for Medicaid. That's right. Um, now, uh, before we talk more about Medicaid, what about Medicare? So, yeah. so what we really want you to take away is that Medicare does not pay for elder care. <laughs> Medicare is the federal program for medical care um, to people who are over 65 and also some other people, like people who qualify for disability or for um, uh, um, dialysis. Mm -hmm. Um, And Medicare does pay for some time-limited medically necessary services that might look kind of like home care or elder care to you. So these include the home health care that we were talking about before. So this is, you know, when the nurse or physical therapist comes to the home. People are usually eligible after they've been hospitalized or if they are homebound. 
It's just for a certain period of time. Um, and then um, Medicare also does pay for stays in the nursing home, but that's again after hospitalization, and that's really meant to be for rehabilitation, not for long-term stays, right? So it's to help you recover after the hip fracture or after you know a, a surgery. Um, so those are things that Medicare pays for, and so people sometimes think that means they'll pay for all kinds of elder care indefinitely, and they don't. It's really it's really pretty limited, right, Michelle? It is, it is extremely limited. It's very important that we have the home health services and that we have the skilled rehab facility benefits, but they are not, they're not for long term. And, um, you know, a lot of times when my families are reading about the home health benefit in particular, and they're reading about what home health is going to provide to them, it sounds like they're going to get a lot. But in practice, it's, it's very, it's very short. It's very episodic care and doesn't mm -hmm. provide, for most people, it doesn't provide them with what they need. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to um, Medicaid and what people should know about Medicaid and what kinds of elder care does Medicaid pay for? So Medicaid is there to help us pay for the long-term services and supports. So that's those are the terms that are used within the, the Medicaid regulation is that Medicaid is supposed to be paying for long-term services and supports either within an institution, so that's within a nursing facility, um, a skilled nursing facility or nursing home as sometimes they're called, or in home and community-based services. So each state gets to decide what those home and community-based services are going to be. For most states that does include paying for home care, um, so where I practice, that pays for up to 40 hours a week of in-home care provided by a private duty caregiver. Um, so Medicaid can pay for living in an institution like a nursing home or home and community-based services, which can include home care aides, can also include in some, day, in some states assisted livings, personal care homes, and room and board. So mm -hmm. it is different in every single state, uh, but the federal government is really pushing each state to make sure that less than 50% of their long-term services and supports dollars are being spent on home and community-based services. And there's a lot of advocacy to push those programs. So I'm hoping right. that the options we have right now will only continue to expand and we'll have more and more options for people to be able to mm -hmm. tap into Medicaid to pay for the care that they need. Yeah. And people sometimes ask, can I get paid for providing elder care to a loved one? Mm -hmm. And um, in some states, I think, you know, some Medicaid programs do have a program for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you have to be eligible and sign up. Yeah, um, I know we've had that at times in uh, California. I'm not sure what the state of that program um, is right now. Um, and then the other thing is that I think people confuse Medicare and Medicaid. And so, you know, Medicaid gets federal dollars, but is run by every state in a different way. Mm -hmm. So this can be very confusing to people because you might hear about somebody who's getting all kinds of services through Medicaid, but if they're in a different state, Medicaid can work very differently in that state. I think each state gets to, you know, set different eligibility requirements um, and, you know, different benefits. So we do see a lot of families who started off, you know, middle income end up qualifying for Medicaid mm -hmm. for the elder care. So when you hear about Medicaid, remember, it's not just health care for, quote, poor people, um, uh, although they do provide, you know, those kinds of services, but it's also um, long-term care for older adults, um, many of whom may have started off not particularly low income, but 
you might end up spending down assets and, um, and qualifying for Medicaid. And in fact, some experts, Michelle, even suggest that families think about this further ahead of time, you know, how they might potentially um, end up on uh, Medicaid as part of the, the solution. Where I'm not personally a fan of working with people who help you hide your assets so uh, you can qualify. Um, there is that out there, but you know, even without really doing that, you know, it can be part of a plan, right? Yeah, and to especially, continue to provide elder care if a person ends up needing care for long enough. Especially if we're working with a, a couple, right? And if we think about each each spouse needing up to ten thousand dollars worth of care each per month, you know, maybe yeah, per month. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> so if we're looking at twenty thousand dollars a month, which is can easily happen. You know, is there a way that one of the spouses can get onto Medicaid? And so it's, it is definitely something worth looking into if we're looking into not impoverishing both, mm -hmm. both uh, spouses. Yep. Yeah. Michelle, um, if people want to get help with paying for elder care, um, what are some uh, options for them to get help with that? So, you know, it's it's a good idea to connect with the your area your local area agency on aging. So the federal government has challenged and um, told each state that they have to figure out a way to advise and help support all of their residents in figuring out this this question. So it's definitely worth looking into your local area agency on aging. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of great resources there. Um, geriatric care managers, you know, you can look into hiring a geriatric care manager. We all have an expertise in figuring out how to help pay or at least how to help connect folks with. Um, yeah, that's that's usually one of my top recommendations, actually, when people ask me about this. Now, geriatric care managers do usually get paid um, out of pocket by an hourly rate. However, they their hourly rate is much lower than elder care attorneys. Um, and there can be a role for elder law attorneys, too, who might be helping, you know, with an estate plan and they can have other roles. But if you're want, you know, the first round of what kind of care might we need, what's available in our area, how much might it cost, working with a certified geriatric care manager like Michelle, I think is a great option and um, a great investment, um, especially if you haven't found enough help by going through free resources like your area agency on aging, um, or if you haven't sort of learned enough by doing your research online. So, yes. um, okay. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for helping me answer this uh, question. I'm sure it's gonna be helpful to lots of people because we do get this question a lot. If you'd like to learn more, um, please first of all subscribe to the channel um, and um, uh, I plan to continue to make some FAQ videos with Michelle and with other colleagues or on my own. If you have questions about this particular topic, Michelle and I would love to know what they are. Post them in the comments. I cannot guarantee that we're going to be able to answer um, most of them, but we are going to be reading them and that'll help us think about what other kind of videos or resources we might create um, to help you. I want to encourage you to just keep learning so that you can be, you know, um, uh, better prepared and equipped. Don't spend your whole life planning for your aging, but it's good to have done at least a little 
preparing so that you and your family aren't caught um, by surprise. Um, and then if you are actually caring for an aging parent, uh, I do offer these online Helping Older Parents programs, and they include live Q&As with Michelle and other geriatric care managers where people get to ask directly their questions and get some help. They get to ask me questions too. So we'll have a link in the description where you can learn more about that if that's interesting. So, uh, all right. We're going to wrap up this video. Thank you so much for watching, for being interested in this topic. Um, and Michelle, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you. All right. Take care, everybody.